It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan, back for the first brand new show of 2022. I hope you all had a super Christmas and New Year and that you're all keeping safe and well. Now, as it is the start of a new year, you might expect to hear guests tonight talking about healthy eating, veganuary or getting rid of those few extra pounds that you may have gained during the festive season like I certainly did. But have no fear because that is not what is on the agenda at all. Coming up on the programme, I have two fantastic guests for you. First up, I'm looking forward to introducing you to Avril Malloy, founder of the Irish School of Cheese, Ireland's only independent cheese training, education and events service for businesses that buy, sell or serve artisan cheese. And after the break this evening, Katia Valadeau, who blogs as properfood.ie, joins us to share details about her pre-Christmas visit to West Limerick. But before we hear from Avril and Katia, a reminder that you can make contact by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and you can also drop me a message on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So I'm delighted to welcome our first guest of this evening, Avril Malloy, one of the foremost experts in artisan farmhouse and homestead cheese in Ireland and founder of the Irish School of Cheese. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Avril, lovely to meet you and to have you on the show this evening. And you are what I would call a cheese aficionado with the Irish School of Cheese. So tell me a little bit about Avril, first of all, and, and where you're from and a bit of your background. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you very much for the opportunity to chat to you today. Um, I'm Avril Malloy. I live in Dublin. And for the first part of my career, I spent about 25 years uh, between London and Dublin as a HR and training manager in different businesses. Went to London in the 80s with my suitcase and then came back in the 90s with a husband and two children. So um, had a very career and then eventually just felt that I wanted to do something different. Um, and through personal circumstances, I got the opportunity just to have some time out to think. And I decided I either wanted to do gardening or food. I'd worked in Emma's Graves as well with the executive chef there and that really sparked my interest and my mother was an amazing cook. So we had great um, grounding, my brothers and I, in food all our lives. And I did a lot of research and got a job with Sheridan's Cheesemongers and I trained literally from the farm up. My first day on the job was uh, with Cashel Blue and Sarah Farno's hospitality in Tipperary. It was fantastic. And I spent a year training behind the counter selling cheese in their Dunn Stores concession in Cornelscourt. Um, and as things progressed, I um, was progressed on to being assistant manager for their Dunn Stores business and then a manager for about 12 sites. And we opened many new stores while I was there. 
Um, it's a 24-7 operation. So again, I've got to the stage in my life where I feel my family and my home life has to be good quality. And um, I couldn't give seven or 24-7 to that business. I learned loads. I really loved it. Um, and it's a super place to learn. So I went on and I studied because I wanted to learn more about the intricacies of cheese, the technical side. So I became a training partner for the Academy of Cheese um, and studied their level one and level two. It's a certification similar to the Wine, Spirit and Education Trust, um, where you can do progressing levels. And it was set up by um, Mary Quick in the UK to allow cheesemongers, cheese lovers, food professionals to progress their knowledge of cheese. So I began my own business then training those courses here in Ireland, but it has snowballed into working with, you know, multiple supermarkets where if they're designing a new store, I'll go in and help them design their cheese counter. Um, I'll train their staff. Um, I think uh, I also work with restaurants um, Board Bia, the National Dairy Council. So it has grown considerably and I absolutely love it. I look forward to going to work every day. So I'm really lucky. But what I've noticed more and more is that people want a food experience when they go shopping and they want to know where their food comes from. And I cannot stress enough how deeply I believe and I know it works if you have somebody at the counter that knows the product and can have a really confident, knowledgeable conversation with your customers, whether that's in a shop, a restaurant, a hotel, and they will give your customer or your guest a fabulous experience. Um, And that's really good for your business. It's good for the products that you sell. It's good for the producers. So um, obviously then lockdown came and I decided I would just promote Irish farmhouse cheesemakers online, on social media. So I've gotten to know a lot of them as well. So before we find out a bit more about that and the Irish cheeses in particular, I want to take you back to your HR days and ask mm. you the, the skills and the knowledge and the expertise that you acquired in that part of your career. They must have been quite useful or very useful whenever you moved into that, that new career. Absolutely, Sharon, um, because in HR, you're dealing with the business needs. So you're trying to marry the the business strategy with the people that you have. Um, So you have to have really good interpersonal skills, negotiating skills, a lot of empathy, but you need to have a business head as well. Um, And I did a lot of training courses, you know, delivered training courses or inductions for new staff. So you really do become really good at um, interpersonal skills and networking and being able to solve people's problems, whether it's the business side of it or, you know, marrying the two together, you know, becoming a mediator. And I find also that now in my my new role or any role I've had, that it gives you that, without sounding a bit big-headed, it gives you that professionalism um, and that wealth of experience that really things aren't black and white. There's a lot of grey. Um, particularly in HR and you have to comply with with certain standards but you also have to make sure that the the business um, gets what it needs but at this but not at the cost of you know somebody's working conditions or somebody's health 
Um, so you're trying to marry both, which can be very, very difficult. Um, in good times, it's a wonderful job to be in because you're dealing with lots of recruitment and promotions and salary increases when a business is doing well and expanding. But in difficult times, you know, in downturns, economic downturns, it's hard because there tends to be, you know, either financial cutbacks, job cuts, um, people tend to be more ill. Um, I, I would I would not like to be a HR manager at the moment after the last two years in COVID um, because people tend to be a little bit more low, demotivated and not as engaged. So that's a really hard work environment to be in. Um, so, and that was another reason why I decided, you know, to go back, to go into food, because I just wanted to work where my heart really was. I know that sounds really fluffy, <laughs> but yeah, in, in summary, my sort of interpersonal business and the balancing the people needs has really, really helped me in my new job. My- and it's always great to work in a, an arena that you're passionate about. And OK, you can say you're passionate about food, but to actually find that segment within it, as in cheese that you have found, just must it makes it more specialised and the knowledge that you have accumulated, that you've learned and that you're consistently developing. It must be really interesting. And I would imagine that you as a teacher are a very inspirational teacher. Thank you. Um, well, I, I truly do love cheese. It's absolutely fascinating. I was always, you know, I always loved unusual food and um, a very good friend of mine introduced me to very unusual cheeses back in the 80s in Dublin, which was quite a rare thing. Um, and then when I came to Sheridan's, I really wanted to learn more about speciality food in general, which I, I did. But cheese just fascinates me because it's so varied. It's an it's farmhouse cheese, you know, is made in a very natural way. So it's alive. It has these live beneficial molds and yeasts. It can be good one day and then the following day be awful um, if you don't take care of it properly. So it's quite um a temperamental uh, food to work with. But there's so many varieties of it and even more so than wine, I would imagine, because it takes on the character of the uh, yeasts and moles or the biome around it. So if I made a brie in Dublin, it wouldn't be the same as though if if somebody makes it in Wicklow, like Wicklow farmhouse cheese, um, because the soil might be different, the animals, environment, you know, the recipe, uh, the way it's matured. There's so many variables. I just find that absolutely fascinating. And my uh, delegates and people that I work with, I love to see when they realize that, oh, my goodness, it really does make a difference with how you store it, how you cut it, how you wrap it. Um, And I love to see them going away with that knowledge when throughout my career, when somebody would join the company, they'd start quite nervous and then you'd go through an induction with them and keep in touch with them then at various points along the road. And I loved that to see them settle in, become more confident. Um, and that really works well in the job I do now, teaching people. And I want to ask you more about how you cut it, because as you were talking there, I was thinking about what cheese has in common with wine. So how you store it and the temperature, for example, that you serve it at can affect how it tastes. But how you cut it, tell me more about 
how cheese should be cut and the impact that that has on it. If I give you a couple of examples, for example, a large wheel of a full wheel of brie. So it's like a big cake that is maybe only about two inches deep or four centimetres deep. You, the centre of that cheese, like the middle of the cake will be riper and slightly different texture than the outside. So you cut that in slices like a cake. And then when you come to eat that triangular slice, um, in France, it's almost a mortal sin to take the nose off, so to cut the piece off the top, because that's the really, really good bit. It's about like years ago when my mum would make a Christmas cake, the centre would be much more moist than the outside. We'd all fight over the middle bit. But you take a long slice, you know, lengthways off the piece of brie so that everyone gets to experience the different levels of ripeness through the through the, the cheese. The other thing for hard cheeses, especially, you need to make sure that when you cut it, that the rind to paste ratio is in favor of the customer. So if you have a large piece of Comte, for example, or a large piece of, you know, cloth bound cheddar that might have a rind all around of it you have to make sure that if that slice has rind on three sides that it's not just two inches long because then the customer is just getting mostly rind on three sides of their cheese and a little bit in the middle so you have to be conscious of that um, and also to cut it thickly thick, thick enough that it won't dry out really easily um, when it's in your fridge for a couple of days, you know, if we buy a piece of gouda or cheddar and it's really, really thin for a start, it'll dry out very quickly. And then if you come to grate it, it'll just all crumble and fall to pieces. Um, so there are things that you need to think about when you're, you know, that wouldn't be very obvious to all of us. I certainly didn't know it before I started to work with cheese. Well, that is absolutely fascinating now about the, the slicing of it. That's something mm. that I've definitely learned today. And the storage of cheese now is something that a lot of people are probably doing incorrectly unbeknownst to themselves. Um, well, what I do personally is if I buy cheese, I bring it home and I have um, an open Tupperware uh, or a bowl and I sit it into that I don't sit it on the glass shelf of my fridge because that's really really cold you can imagine yourself if you touch the glass on your house on the inside on a cold day it'll still be cold putting your the, the, the glass shelf is the coldest part of your fridge so um, I would keep it in an open dish still wrapped in the paper it comes in but I would keep it in the lowest part of my fridge and even in the vegetable drawer. We have those vegetable drawers at the bottom of our fridges nowadays because cheese likes a little bit of humidity and um, it should survive really, really well there. The other thing to be very careful of is, and it is a little bit controversial, but cheese, these farmhouse artisan cheeses are alive. And if you wrap them in cling film or seal them in plastic, they die. So the the blue mould on a cashew blue or a um, stilton or whatever will die. Um, and the, the mould, the white mould on a brie style cheese, that white, we call it penicillium, penicillium canumberti, um, that dies. And the cling film then draws moisture from the centre of the cheeses out to the rind and the rind becomes soggy and doesn't taste very nice. Um, so what I always do with my students is I bring them a piece of cheese like that that's wrapped in plastic, a blue or a soft cheese, 
and I ask, I open it and I ask them to taste the outside edge that has been in contact with the cling film. And then we cut it in half and I get them to taste the center that has had no contact with the wrapping. And the difference is incredible. It's, it's softer, it's smoother, it's not as sour. Um, so that, I, you know, I don't, um, I understand a lot of uh, cheese is wrapped in cling, but there is so much recyclable cheese paper available now that that's one of my key things when I work with a retailer is to change the way they wrap it, even though it takes a bit longer and it might, the people, the customers may not be able to see the cheese as clearly. It's much better for the quality, much better experience for the customer, and it gives it a longer shelf life. And whenever you buy cheese from a cheese counter, they obviously know how to wrap it. So it's common in the, the paper. But if you buy pre-packaged cheese and you've mentioned Cashel Blue there and obviously they would be selling into some of the multiples so it's coming in that vacuum packed that pre-packed packaging do you recommend that you open it up and take it out of that and put it into your own greaseproof paper? Well actually Cashel have come upon this fantastic uh, they're they don't vacuum pack they have a a sealed package that you might notice that the cheese is, is a little bit loose in. So the paper or the, the packaging isn't squeezing the cheese. It's not in contact. So they are actually are a really good example of a company that has overcome that issue. Um, so, but a another cheese, if you find it, particularly, as I say, the blues and the soft cheeses, um, if you find that they're sealed tightly in um, plastic wrap or cling film, I would, when I come home, I would unwrap it um, and I would put it in either greaseproof paper or parchment paper. Um, or I found a little recyclable lunchable bags, those little paper bags. Um, they're really good for cheese. And also beeswax wraps are great. And they're really, you know, more, much more sustainable than, than plastic as well. So that's really interesting, Avril, about the, the beeswax, because I was just going to, to ask you that. And I mean, there's so much to learn there. It actually is amazing. And we've only really touched on what there is to learn. So tell us a bit about the courses that you do. If if there was maybe a group of friends, for example, that wanted to do a course or even maybe there's shops out there that do cheese, but they've never trained their staff in it with a professional like yourself. Well, what they can do is contact me via my website, uh, www.irishschoolofcheese.ie. And I'm also active on LinkedIn and Instagram in particular. Um, but if a group contacts me, I can, if it's a business, I can, or even a group of friends or family, I can design a cheese course or a cheese tasting experience to suit exactly what they want. So it's very flexible. Um, I can also do, and I've done this an awful lot over lockdown, where a group of friends or a corporate group who maybe can't get together because of re remote working and didn't have staff parties, if they contact me, I can organize a, an online cheese tasting and I send a selection of cheese out to them. And we spend an hour, an hour and a half, um, and I tell them the story behind the cheese and and if it's um, if they're looking for a course I will teach them about you know the different cheeses of the world how you know the rinds and the pastes and the aromas and flavors um, and if you're a cheese business I will design a course that will suit whatever your needs are whether you want me to come to you 
or to do it online. I've, you know, I've worked with Board Bia, the National Dairy Council, Pet at Super Value, um, LaRousse Foods, an awful lot of different organizations. So I, I tailor it to your needs, basically whatever you'd like to do if you bring your group to me. And if anybody listens to the archers on a regular basis, I don't know if you're an archers listener. Um, no. Yeah, it's I uh, kind of is one of my guilty pleasures. But recently, Pat, who is a cheesemaker uh, on the archers, was gifted uh, an online cheese making course by her um, step sister-in-law, I suppose she is, and she wasn't very happy about it. She found it quite insulting. And <laughs> her, her mother-in-law pointed out to her, sure, isn't that great? It's research and you'll find out about um, different cheeses and, and be confident that your Borchester blue is still the, the best. <laughs> So whenever you're talking about that, it just reminded me of of hearing that recently on on the archers. And look, we are all online so much more now, and it's great that you're you're able to to keep your business going in some shape or form because of that. Because obviously, everybody has been affected by COVID in some shape or form. So congratulations on that. And just to finish up, then Avril, I suppose we should ask you if you were put on the spot, which I am doing now. What's your favourite Irish farmhouse cheese? Really mean question to ask a cheese hunger, as I call myself. Um, my favourite Irish cheese, did you say? Or my favourite gen- cheese in general? Well, there, I'll give you two to answer then. Your favourite okay. Irish one and your favourite cheese in general. Uh, one of my favourite Irish ones at the moment is Temple Gall, which is a compote style cheese being made in Cork, which is amazing. It's so exciting. And it won. Uh, so it's Temple Gall made by Jean Baptiste, um, who used to make Comte and he now works for Hegarty's in Cork. Um, I love Cochnatira, which is a sheep's milk cheese, like a pecorino, but it's stunning. Um, and I love goat's cheeses, particularly Ardsala and St. Tola and Galway goat. So I know that's more than one, but it's just this. We've over 200 cheeses now, farmhouse cheeses in Ireland. So we have a smorgasbord to yeah, select from, which is really exciting. European wise, I still love Brie de Meaux, um, Forme d'Ambert and Blue d'Auvergne and, a, and Parmigiana Reggiana with a little drizzle of balsamic vinegar is just to die for. Well, look, that just goes to show there is so much more that we could talk about whenever it comes to cheese. So we might get you to come back again next month and we might pick a particular cheese and you could tell us a bit more about it, where we can get it, how best to serve it. A few of the different cheesemakers, because it's interesting what you say there about John Baptiste, because I think in Ireland we do owe a lot of the a lot of the credit for the fantastic Irish cheeses that we have is down to people that have come from abroad or the parents have come from abroad so yeah we'd love to have you back in a month or so if if you're happy to come back to tell us a bit more about those individual cheesemakers i'd be delighted sharon i'd really love that fantastic well look it's a date then avril in the meantime continued success with the the irish school of cheese and you've let people know you're you're online there on social media if they want to get in touch or find out more Yes, absolutely. And no, there's no such thing as a silly question if anyone wants to get in contact with me. As I say, I'll tailor whatever the training or experience needs are to what they want. Fantastic. Thanks again. Thank Apple. you, Sharon, for the opportunity. It was lovely talking to you. 
You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Avril Malloy, founder of the Irish School of Cheese, shared her journey from a career in HR in London to returning to Ireland and becoming one of the foremost experts in artisan farmhouse and homestead cheese in Ireland and founder of the Irish School of Cheese. If you're just tuning in now and you missed that, you might want to catch the repeat of Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are also available to listen to wherever you get your podcasts, as well as SharonNoonan.com. Now, moving on to our next guest this evening, Katia Valadeau is originally from France, but now resides in Ireland. Her passion for all things food and drink related is showcased on her blog, properfood.ie, and one of her most recent culinary adventures was to West Limerick. Katia joins us now to give us an insight into what she enjoyed during her stay just before Christmas. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Katia, great to have you back on the show this evening and we're going to talk about a few things, one of them being your recent visit or pre-Christmas visit, I should say, to West Limerick, where you showcased everywhere you stayed, what you ate, the places that you visited so beautifully on your Instagram that I'd say even the, the person that knows West Limerick really well was blown away with what they saw but before we get on to that I want to ask you just about Christmas and how your Christmas was because you're French and you spent you spent Christmas in Ireland are there any big differences between what people do in France and Christmas and what we do here in Ireland first hello 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 I think the the main difference would be around the menu probably we don't eat turkey as a general festive meat would be more into a, a roast joint of some kind of animal. So this year I did a porchetta. Other years it could be shoulder of lamb. When I grew up, it was, uh, as we called it, a roast beef of horse meat. You know, um, it, it can be quite different. Some years you might have a, a whole fish roasted and always quite a, a large selection of side vegetable dishes. You'll have a lot of canapes to start with and a couple of desserts without forgetting the biggest and the best of all cheese boards of the year. Absolutely. And earlier on the show tonight, we were talking to Avril Malloy from the Irish School of Cheese. So whenever you think of cheese, okay, we have fantastic cheese here in Ireland, but I mean, France really does set itself apart from other countries in the world whenever it comes to cheese. I I used to come to Ireland back from France from my holidays and I, I'd have a suitcase full of cheese from home. And now whenever I travel to France, I bring them Irish cheese. So I, I don't know, you know, I think we hold our own over here. And talking about cheese, I know cheese featured in your visit to West Limerick. But, but tell us about your stay here before Christmas, because you were very impressed, which is great to hear. I, I was indeed. Um, I came to West Limerick with, I think, not a clue what to expect. Assuming the food would be dull, assuming the countryside would be flat and maybe a bit boring. And I was sent packing with my notiony ideas of what rural Ireland is because it was absolutely brilliant, basically. 
And you visited with a friend who had travelled over from Sweden to spend some time. That's right. Kat was over for a week. And I was really happy to bring her there because it was somewhere interesting, but off the beaten track for tourists in general. Um, If you plan a holiday in Ireland, you don't necessarily think West Limerick as an option. And actually, there's lots to do there. Loads to do, loads to see. People are really warm. The food is great. The accommodation is perfect. So, and actually it's really good value as well. And it's not, I suppose, the, the main first option. There's really great bargains. I constantly say to people, that's what sets West Limerick apart from other parts of Ireland that do have fantastic accommodation and have those culinary experiences. Like we do have them here in West Limerick, but what sets us apart is there's really fantastic value to be had. Yeah, absolutely. Much cheaper than anywhere else I've been recently. And the quality was great. Well, let's talk about some of your highlights in terms of the places that you visited, that you stayed and you dined in. Is there any one standout moment that you can share with us? Oh God. Dining experiences, there was, uh, I, I, I suppose everything at the Mustard Seed actually was great coming into the door and being welcomed by Oliver, who is an exquisite type of extrovert and makes you feel at home straight away. And the food was stunning. Um, it, it, it was just simple food, but it was really, really stunning the decor of the sitting room that you're eating it is beautiful it's very homely the rooms are they're just super comfortable and everything is warm and cozy and there's you know you'd want to spend a whole day going around looking at things in the in the hotel i it doesn't feel like a hotel actually it feels like somebody's home and you've been invited to it you know um, so to me, that was one of the highlights. I love the food at the Woodlands Hotel as well. Um, I was particularly keen on the visit we did around Mary's Gardens and what they're trying to create there and the educational side of it. Um, it was really interesting. Abbey Field was great. We had lovely, lovely bits and bobs in several places in Abbeyfield, there was the the tea and tails was great, and the dinner in Means Hotel, and the breakfast in Gourmet Green was fantastic. Knowing that again, she grows an awful lot of her greens. Everything is made from scratch. Uh, we took a tour of the town with Morris, who sits on loads of the the boards there, and he was brilliant. He was a really really great advocate for the town for Abbeyfield gave us a lot of the story of you know how it was how it was built where what people do what happens there what's the kind of rhythm of a week there and it was really really great um there's lots to do there it's it i actually i was quite impressed they have a they have a food market or a farmer's market not one day a week but two days a week and let me tell you i can only think of one that does that in Dublin and I would love it if there was more so it was really impressive to know that there's enough people interested in food that just comes from the area 
that they will go to the market rather than the supermarket. Not one day a week, but two days a week. I thought that was great. Uh, we visited Lehi's farm to see where the goat meat and the goat cheese comes from. So that was great. Got to cuddle some baby goats. Loved that. We went to visit Caroline Rigney and that was brilliant. We got to hear all about what she's intending to do with the place and until she's actually come out and explained her explained it herself I'm just going to leave it at that but I'm just going to say watch this space because it'll be really interesting um her park obviously to me is some of the best in Ireland we went to the old stand in China Golden and had a really a really lovely afternoon tea with Mary and Elena who own the the, the pub and a couple of businesses with their family in the town and we were talking about again life in Shanagold and what the rhythm is like and what their plans and their hopes are for the town and it's it's beautiful again an awful lot of recipes that have been you know brought down from generation we had apple pie that was made by from a recipe from Mary's grandmother and it, it was just beautiful just really stunning pastry and simple but you know it, it's memorable in itself because it's so good Um, they were also talking to us about their plans for the town and what they're hoping to achieve and all that kind of stuff and they have the domes there the outside dining domes in Shanna Golden they have the domes in Shanna Golden for people who want to go and dine out but actually be outdoors without being outdoors and it's it's quite fun to watch. You're you're driving past or you're coming to the 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 crossroad and there there are those mad domes there, but they're heated and they're they're safe and they're they're lovely for people that want an option to go out, I guess. And it was quite random to see that in the middle of rural Ireland. Um sure a sign of the times we're living in. And of course, Shannon Golden is in that area of the Shannon Estuary Way. So you did a bit of a drive along the, the Shannon there. We did, we did. And uh, the, the scenery is really majestic. It's not a million miles away of what you're seeing in Clare, only a little bit greener. So a, a, a bit brighter, a bit perkier, we say. Um, not all doom and gloom. And I imagine that you get amazing sunsets, but we didn't actually get to one of those. Our latest attraction here in uh, West Limerick is the Limerick Greenway. You can cycle it or you can walk it or jog it. It's the old railway line, the old Southern Trail. Did you do that when you were here? Did you visit Platform 22 up in Barna? We did indeed. Um, we stopped at Platform 22, which is owned by the same lovely lady who owns Fiend's Hotel in Abbeyfield. And we got to meet her that day very briefly. And again, she's a very enthusiastic advocate for the area. So the, it, it was great to meet people that were so passionate about where they live. And also, like, the, the place is just beautiful. You know, it's green. You could be going for a cycle and stopping for a really nice food on the way. She has a great pastry chef there who comes from uh, their manor. And she she does amazing stuff there. So you're literally getting out of your car or getting off of your bike. There is a great safe space area for kids to play around in. And you could be sitting inside or sitting on their terrace and have really, really good food and great coffee. So the notion I had that maybe the, the food might be a little bit boring in West Limerick, 
I took that home and put that under my my tissue in my pockets, and I'm leaving it there forever. <laughs> Whenever you mention Adair Manor, there we're very lucky to have a number of different historical buildings here in West Limerick. And Springfield Castle was one of the places that you went to as well. That's right. Springfield Castle was great. Um, and again, it was really linked to the whole food theme of the week. We got to visit the, the gardens and where they grow their own fruit and veg and hear about the methods they use and what they do with the bounty. Um, we also got to hear about their animals, which we left alone because, you know, tried to be um tried to be good about it but it was very curious and it was great to hear that in West Limerick you can get local venison and to see the grounds they're raised in and how much space they have to roam freely and that's quite amazing to be honest like it, it it's it's a rare opportunity to see something very different um we got to try the food that they grow and raise there and it's really special they also have this place, if I remember well, called the Green Room, where you can buy from them some of the produce that they make from their own product. So it's a great spot. And you can also actually rent the whole place as a family or as a group, bunch of friends, whatever. Strangely affordable from what I can remember, because when you gave me the full price, and you kind of break it down by number of beds, you're like, hmm, I can see myself living in a castle for a couple of days. <laughs> you know, so genuinely an option for a wedding or for a big birthday or even for just a long weekend with friends where you want to be pampered and live in glorious settings. Well, it's fantastic to hear that you were so impressed by everything that was here and something that's coming through to me with what you're saying is that you met a lot of very inspirational women. Um, I met so many, many great women. Most of the businesses that I visited were, if not owned, at least led by women and it, it was really empowering and it was really invigorating as well. Um, women that are, you know, passionate and knowledgeable and hardworking and very successful. And it was just glorious to see. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Jorgen and his Adair walks and his tours because, yes, he's not a woman, fair enough, but he was brilliant. You know, I spent a, maybe half a day walking around there with him, just kind of going through the history of the town. And he, he focused his tour on my interests, which was really interesting, as opposed to jumping on a preset tour of things that you might kind of zone in and out of. He really does it to what you want. And it, it, it's really great. Um that was a, a real highlight as well. I thought that was brilliant. And I know he does those in Limerick City, but also in Adair and West Limerick in general. He's happy to travel. And whenever you left West Limerick, then you headed into Limerick City to one of the, the jewels in our crown in this neck of the woods, and that's one Perry Square. That's right. That's right. We stayed there on the last evening and... What a way to finish a week off. We were so lucky with where we were invited to stay. And what a way to finish it off. 
you know, beautiful copper bath in, in a gorgeous bedroom. The whole the whole place is stunning. It's just absolutely stunning. The cocktails are great. Um, I wish I didn't have to get up at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> to go to the airport the following day. Uh, the food was exceptional. It was really, really great. Lovely buzz. And you're right in the middle of the city as well. So a great place, I thought. Great location, absolutely, for visitors coming to, to stay in the city, as you say, because it is so central. And Limerick City isn't that big a city that you are able to get around it quite easily on foot. That's it. That's it. Although I, I did very little myself around Limerick City. I, um, I went straight from my day with Jorgen to visit with Anna from Bra to see where she makes her chocolate and uh, her lovely, lovely chocolates, I must say. And I got to try her beautiful chocolate brownies there, the best in the country, let me tell you. And from there, I just went straight to the hotel. So I, I didn't have much of a chance to go around the town, but I, I'll come back and do more of that another time. Although having seen West Limerick, I'd be more likely to want to go back to the countryside rather than stay in the city. Well, that's a huge compliment to uh, the people that you you met with during your time here and, and everything that you did. And, and look, it was lovely to have you here. We really appreciate you taking the time to come and visit the region, to talk about the region and, and to share its culinary attributes and all the other positive aspects about it with your, your network, because that's only going to help spread the word that we do have so much here to offer and that there is great value can we expect to see a little piece about it on properfood.ie you will see a fair few pieces about it to be honest because there was a lot of the women I talked to that I will be wanting to featuring in my series on the women of the Irish food industry so it'll be a a long-term kind of piece and it will all link into each other it actually works well with the way you guys do business over there because you're all linked together effectively it will reflect my experience amazing well look in the meantime if anybody wants to find out more about you Cathy, and all the amazing places you've visited in ireland and everything else that you write about there it's properfood.ie and it's properfood on all the social media platforms as well thanks a million for talking to me this evening i really appreciate it thank you You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste here on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, we heard all about Katia Valado's visit to West Limerick before Christmas, where she enjoyed a multitude of food and drink experiences thanks to the wonderful hospitality industry that we have here. And earlier on in the show, Avril Malloy, founder of the Irish School of Cheese, shared her journey from a career in HR in London to returning to Ireland and becoming one of the foremost experts in artisan farmhouse and homestead cheese in Ireland and founder of the Irish School of Cheese. If you're just tuning in now and you've missed all of that, you can catch the repeat of the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are also available to listen to wherever you normally get your podcasts, as well as my website, SharonNoonan.com. 
And that brings us to the end of the programme tonight. Thank you so much for listening and to my guests, Avril Malloy and Katia Valado. I will be back next week to talk to more food and drink enthusiasts. So until then, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!